Welcome to Simple Life Radio, stories for the adventurous at heart. I'm your host, Cynthia Fernandez, and our guest today will be coming to the Pilgrim's Way Community Bookstore in Secret Garden uh, Friday, August 22nd. She will be uh, there for a two-hour workshop in the evening. So for those of you that have a horse or care about horses or perhaps raise them, this is a really unique opportunity to deepen your connection and your understanding and ultimately for just really expanding your relationship not only with your horse but even beyond that. Tickets for the event are on our website that is pilgrimsway.com and now I'd like to introduce our guest sometimes referred to as the horse whisperer. Rosalind Byrne PhD explores the intersecting realms between emerging technologies, science, fiction, and myth and between the human and non-human worlds. As a University of Virginia professor, she writes and teaches about engineering and technology in society and the ethical implications of technological development, often using science fiction materials in her classes. In her personal life, she continues to discover the transformational nature of human equine relationships and offers facilitation and translation services for enhancing communication between horses and their owners. And her book, her newest book, When the Horses Whisper, The Wisdom of Wise and Sentient Beings, uh, will be at our bookstore for that event. We're so happy to have you, Rosalind. Welcome to Simple Life. Oh, thank you, Cynthia. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Well, it's such a delight. I have to tell you, when I was reading your book, uh, you know, I read a lot of books. You know, Paul and I have the bookstore, and it's it's been around a long time, and, and, and luckily people bring us books of all sorts to read. So, lovely cover, beautiful, beautiful horse on the cover, but I didn't really know what to expect, and it's so nicely laid out with personal experience and story and definitely the dialogue between yourself and the horses that it, I just found that my heart was opening. You know, like I really felt like I could see into an area of life that I have not seen into before. And, and I consider myself a sensitive person, um, certainly uh, uh, one who is, I guess you could say, an uh, alternative thought. So this isn't brand, brand new to me, but I just... It was very deeply impactful to me in a very positive way, so I thank you for your work. Now, you speak about your sense that horses feel an urgent need to be heard, and humans have an urgent need for understanding and the healing that horses offer us. I wonder if you could speak about that, and if you have an example to share, that'd be great, too. I do have an example. Um, I was asked to come into um, a facility where they board horses, and Three, three people who have horses in this facility, plus the manager, um, sort of decided that it would be really helpful if I would just come tell them what was going on with their horses. And as I moved from one stall to the next, checking in and sharing what was coming from the horses, I was aware um, of two things. One, that as the people were listening, um, it was sort of like what you just described about uh, a heart opening you could tell that they were hearing something that was really important to them, that was really touching them. And meanwhile, one horse that was not part of the, mm, the consultation 
far down at the end of the barn, was very anxiously leaning over the edge and shaking her head and kept trying to get my attention. And so I asked, you know, who is that? Should I talk to that horse too? And they said, well, that owner lives in California and, and we're really not having you here today for that purpose. And I felt a sort of sadness because it was as if the horse was really anxious, like, me too, me too, please. Oh. I also um, think that because one particular horse in Costa Rica at some point said, I can't believe you're understanding me. For my whole life, I wanted to be understood by the human. <laughs> How many you people know? have you heard that from? Well, isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. And so this, this need on the part of people to understand the horses, how does that fit in? Well, it seems to me, I'm learning too as we go through this process. This is relatively new to me, but what it seems to me is that horses are um, heart-centered beings who have a capacity to understand and see elements of the human life experience that sometimes we can't even see for ourselves. And so it's like in partnership with them, we can go deeper into self-understanding and mm. growth, particularly growth that has to do with heart work. Mm. And um, there is some research uh, to suggest, this is uh, research done by the, the people behind the, the Heart Math program, to suggest that when the heart and the brain as organs start to open and flow in their communication, it actually allows us to go deeper in our own intuitive abilities. My experience with horses is that they are going to help us with that. Mm-hmm. And that um, some people are pretty natural at that, but most of us, for lots of reasons that I think we'll probably discuss later in the show, most of us have forgotten about that connection and how to keep it open. And um, we're not really taught that formally. And in our communities, it's not part of our dialogue. Horses can help us. It's like another species is there and willing and in some ways purposely intending to help us grow. Well, that's so true. And I know uh, for myself, when I am, mostly when I was a kid and I didn't go to work every day and I spent lots of time out of doors, um, I realized how the animal world is so in the present you know, they're so in the present. They um, oftentimes would be my greatest teachers for honesty and authenticity. Uh, and just, like I say, being in the present, that uh, I think for us humans in our civilized structure, it can be a distraction. It can be, um, certainly can have aspects of trauma or wounding in the midst as well. Absolutely. What you say about animals um, strikes me as so true, in part because when they perceive, they do it without judgment of evaluation the way we do. They might judge, particularly a horse, because they're a a prey animal, they might judge whether they're safe, Mm -hmm. but they're not going to judge us in terms of qualities. And we do that all the time. That's <laughs> so beings. true. I and know. I, yeah, it's the first thing we do. And yeah. I think that gets in, a, in the way of the presentness, oh, the present-mindedness right. that you're talking about yeah. that animals have. Yeah, it does. And in terms of developing your uh, intuitive awareness, your ability to resonate with communication, subtle energies that are just constantly uh, being communicated, it, it does block those those receivers, I guess you could call mm-hmm. them. Yeah. 
I wonder if you would describe for us, for our listeners here, the the communication, how it works, and what it is that you experience. I know in your book you refer to it like hearing an answer to a prayer. Yes, well, I also refer to it as similar to the still, small voice that has been written about in ancient texts, yeah? Mm, yeah. So it's sort of like um, going below the surface to hear, or um, getting out of the way so that you can hear. And there's a lot of noise a lot of times, and that noise is coming from my own mind. Mm-hmm. So. Part of it has to do with by getting under the surface of that noise so that I am not judging myself um, or categorizing what's happening so that I can be present. So if I say to the horse, I am here for you, and I'm opening myself to you so that I can communicate what it is that needs to be said, and I really allow myself to do that, what happens is I, I think that it's... Um, Maybe we could call it um, something that happens pre-linguistically in the mind, mm. where where information is being formed pretty instantaneously because the brain is really fast. And with humans, we then carry that into language, and then it's expressed through our spoken or written word. What I think happens is that the animal and I are able to connect with the place that happens before the words are formed, and then I can translate them pretty instantly. In some yeah. cases, I hear actual words that they might have, they must have heard from humans. Mm. Yeah. And so I, I remember uh, reading somewhere in your book, I can't really point to the page, but I do remember that you were describing how the uh, the horses see us from the inside, and so they... Um, I, I don't know if you call it they read our thoughts, but they actually know our feelings before we form the words. And I think that's what you're describing, isn't it? Feelings and intentions. Both. Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, say, if, say a human being is going towards another human being, mm-hmm. we might say, there's a tall person with a red shirt that's sort of fat, right? A horse is not going to do that. <laughs> a horse is going to pick up our intention, our feelings, and the energy around us. Yeah. Right. And so we can do that, too. It's just that we are out of practice. Ah. It's not the way we function in our everyday societies and institutions. So um, so the horse, then, um, is, a, is able to know intention through the energy around you and through what's going on in your heart and know, first of all, if they're safe. Once they establish that they're safe, um, they are very open mm. and very receptive and very feeling animals. Unless, I have to be clear, unless they have been damaged emotionally or physically, then they're just like us and they go to a hurt place and they shut down. Mm-hmm. Or it triggers a memory, perhaps, like it does with us. It could. Yeah. Yep, it mm-hmm. could. An association. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, listeners, we are li- we are speaking with uh, Rosalind Byrne, a PhD, who is a professor at University of Virginia, 
uh, uh, mostly we're focusing on her book, When the Horses Whisper, The Wisdom of the Sentient Beings. Uh, sorry, The Wisdom of Wise and Sentient Beings. And if you want more information specifically about Rosalind, you can go to her website, which is rosalindburn.com, spelled R-O-S-A-L-Y-N-B-E-R-N-E.com. And there's lots of great information there. There are other podcasts from previous interviews on different subjects, as well as a very sweet video showing Rosalind working with a horse directly and and uh, gives you a flavor for um, the kind of work you do, Rosalind. It's just so sweet. Mm-hmm. Now, I wonder if you would share with our listeners a very significant relationship you had, relationship that you had with uh, a horse named Aladdin. Oh, that's from my childhood. I was um, living in inner city Philadelphia on a very busy street. And uh, so mostly I was surrounded by, you know, people and cars and buildings and activities, noise, city noise, et cetera. But um, my parents had the wisdom to send me to a summer camp that was outside of the city so I could get exposed to that world as well. And while there, um, I took trail riding lessons. I was drawn to a particular horse named Aladdin, who was an Arabian gelding. And uh, I feel that um, I might have been locked up as a preteen can sometimes be. Mm-hmm. And um, Aladdin really did touch me, and it felt to me like Aladdin saw me and understood me in ways that at, at that age I didn't feel like most humans did. So I felt I had a, a relationship of trust with him, but he also uh, was a teacher for me. There were. Um, there were difficulties in my life that I feel that Aladdin helped me with. And um, even in my adulthood sometimes, sometimes I feel like the spirit of Aladdin um, is available. I did a, I did a, a hypnosis session um, not long ago and was recounting in that session um, an encounter at that same camp with an adult that was an inappropriate account- encounter. And as a child, really not understanding how to respond to his inappropriate uh, gestures. And the hypnotist said, "Um, can you see Aladdin? And I said, I can. I can see Aladdin. And she said, ask Aladdin what you should do. So in the session, I'm in my little girl state in the presence of this adult. And I turn to Aladdin and say, what do I do? And I see this horse rear up on his hind legs and get this fierce energy around him and then come down and he said you make it clear (laughs) wow like this and it felt so real and you know the mind is mysterious right there are Mm. lots of ways to interpret that Um, it could have been seen as all in my mind but what matters to me is that his spirit was left with me in such a way that I could have that awareness as an adult and have that feeling of being shown and taught and so, you know, I think that horses, as with dogs and cats and other animals, even wild animals, can be companions to us. Mm-hmm. And Aladdin certainly was for me at, at about 11 years old. 
Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, that is really expressive, and it kind of outlines what's possible, like, as you say, in terms of uh, healing and understanding for humans as well. I'm your host, Cynthia Fernandez, and you're listening to this week's episode of Simple Life Radio, broadcast live from RadioMonterey.com or through your tune-in application on your tablet, computer, or smartphone. Our topic today is animal communication, and our guest, Dr. Rosalind burns the author of her newest book titled When the Horses Whisper, and she'll be teaching a deep listening workshop where she will use guided meditations, listening exercise, and brief lessons on how and when and why we listen or not, and uh, what our desire is to hear what others are trying to say. Uh, We'll be taking a short break, and when we come back, we'll be talking more about communication on the subtle realms. Please stay with us for more Simple Life. And we're back with Simple Life Radio, Stories for the Adventurous at Heart. I'm your host, Cynthia Fernandez, and our guest today, Dr. Rosalind Byrne, is speaking from her newest book, When the Horses Whisper, The Wisdom of Wise and Sentient Beings. And it's just a fascinating conversation, Rosalind. I wonder now if we could go to one of my um, favorite parts, because we've been talking about how this communication really connects in at a deep level the horse is, uh, generally speaking, as you said, unless there's some uh, real damage, the horse is open and willing and actually wanting to communicate. And for so many humans, uh, has the ability to offer deep insight and understanding that can accelerate and really uh, help us heal as well. And and one of my favorite parts in the book was when you were speaking about um, a, a ride that you had on a horse called Conan, and it was high on top of mountainside, and there, and and you were dealing with some uncertainty there. And I, I don't want to say any more, but if you could relate that story for our listeners, that'd be great. Oh, sure. Uh, uncertainty? Oh, yes. Yeah. There, was, <laughs> there was fear. <laughs> Uh, the thing is that um, it's really funny. I had been asked to go on a six-day trek um, that was a sort of a therapeutic healing workshop trek called Epona, and um, I was invited to be the resident horse communicator. And, and I didn't see myself as going because I needed to do therapeutic work, of course. Of course. Well, lo and behold, boy, did I have work to do. And um, I, I was pretty frightened. Uh, I'm not a terribly experienced rider. I've done trail rides here or there. We had climbed a very steep mountain and needed to go down the other side. And going down the other side, um, you could see these precipitous drops. I mean, you could just see... The only way we could go down was on these crisscrossing, narrow cow paths. Mm. And so every time I looked down to the right or the left, because we were right at the ridge and it wasn't very wide, to the right I could see boulders down to a river and to the left just a long drop um, on this mountainside and I was so frightened I thought that maybe the best thing to do would be able to just get off and walk but 
I didn't have the proper footwear. There are a lot of snakes there. The, it was pretty treacherous. And I realized, mm. you know, this is a case where you really have to stay on your horse. And, of course, horses have for centuries taken us where we couldn't go without them. So, so true. here we are in a situation where I, and I couldn't turn back because I'm with a group and I'm in a long line and we're on a cow path and you can't just turn around. It was dangerous. And um, so I started to panic. And I, I felt the sort of tightness of my chest and all of that. And, and I finally said, Conan, I'm scared. And Conan responded. Mm. And he said, I very well, you know, basically, I know, I can feel it, and it's making my job harder. So <laughs> I need for you to stop looking down. <laughs> and then, then he said, and what you're going to do is you're going to look only at my head, between my ears, the back of my head, and you keep your eyes there, all the way down. And so then what happened is really funny. I turned around to look at the, uh, the guides, the, the local guides who were um, with us, horsemen, really, really skillful horsemen. And I thought to myself, well, they'll take care of me. And then I hear Conan say, what are you looking at them for? You're not riding on their back, are you? <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> it's like, I'm the one you need to trust. Yeah. So do what I asked you to do so I can do my job and keep you safe. Well, long story short, we were the first ones down. But on the way down, and it took a couple of hours to get down, the longer we rode, the more I had to face the real source of that fear. And I had to really look inside myself at my life and the things that I felt that I had no control over. And Conan was helping me the whole way. By the time we got to the bottom, I was just weeping, a sense of joy and release. Mm. And I give him a lot of credit for supporting me in that inner work that I had to do through the trauma and the fear of going down the mountain on his back. So that was really, I mean, if you look at it another way, that was really intense therapy, wasn't it? I think so. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I think so. And, um, and, and a beautiful, heartfelt therapy because, you know, he was just doing it to do it. That's right. Yeah, he's doing it as a matter of course because that is his role and he's he's not, you know, he's not watching the clock and looking for the agenda that we have in our human world, which is, I need to pay the bills, so this is a paying customer, so I'm going to do this. Yeah, I mean, we're all, we all have mixed motives in what we do, and that's just the nature of our, of our lives, and so I don't um, begrudge anyone who does that work, and I've certainly used it myself. Absolutely. But the thing about the horse yeah. is it's, it's their deep sense of purpose in some ways, just to be with us in supportive, healing ways. Which is why I understand there are actually some uh, insurance programs that cover horse therapy for post-traumatic stress syndrome, for example, mm -hmm. and for children with all kinds of disabilities and challenges, because it works. The horses are truly there in a way that helps. Do you see this ability as a natural ability that everyone has and, and, and for many of us has just been dormant? You're referring to my talking the, to horses? Yes, the ability to <laughs> listen and hear and actually communicate. 
Well, I think it's who we are. I think it's who we are by nature, the same way it is with other species. Um, but our world has become very complex, and um, we've become really distracted by other of our abilities. I, the way it feels to me is sort of like our cerebral cortex is bulging, right? It's like we're so living in our <laughs> frontal lobes, and um, the rest of us gets disengaged. So this began for me um, actually when I fell off of a horse into a river, and I think what happened is that I completely let go. I let go of fear. I let go of everything, and I released, and I fell. And in the process, I think I was literally jolted back into a state of openness. I do think that is our natural state. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit about what you envision for your workshop at Pilgrim's Way Community Bookstore and Secret Garden. And I know we're planning that. It's coming up, isn't it, August 22nd? Well, it's a week from Friday. Yeah. So tell us, is this the sort of thing you're going to focus on with people and actually um, work with them on exploring their own inner connection? Yeah, exactly. Following up on your last question, because I, when this all started happening for me, is about, well, with the horses specifically, it was about four years ago. And the publisher, my publisher said, you know, people are going to want you to teach them how to do this. And I said, I, you can't teach somebody how to do this. <laughs> so, and, uh, but, but I've been guided through spirit to believe that there are things that can be taught and practiced that have to do with um, a deep listening and an opening to what happens in deep listening. So that's what the workshop would be, to give people some practice, some skills, some exercises that I think, um, are for me at least, when I do them, they, they put me in a place that's a very similar place to where I go when I'm listening to horses. And um, it's actually helping me to go deeper with people. Um, occasionally I've had experiences in my past, even before the horses, I, I felt called to visit a man in the hospital who I didn't know was there. When I got there, um, he was in a coma, and he spoke to me. And he said about his loved ones who were sitting there, Tell them I'm trying to leave. Tell them, please let me go. And I was able to share with them what their father was saying. And that's the sort of deep listening I'm talking about, not just with horses, mm-hmm. but with, with people, even people who are conscious. And we're not really listening at that level. We're listening for something else. So the workshop is just to, to talk about that, to listen to people's experiences about that, and to do some exercises that will help. Uh, prime us to opening to that level of listening. I'm so glad that you mentioned, uh, you know, that this is not specifically limited to uh, communicating with horses, even though that that is an example of a deeper listening, as you put it, or a, a more subtle realm. Um, because I, I've, I agree with you. I mean, my just, you know, I'm not a doctor, <laughs> but my sense of the world says that that, that we all have this ability. And uh, I, I'm going to talk a little bit later about technology and that place in our society. But I, I do think that we have abilities that we have moved focus away from. And therefore, they're there, sort of like a radio signal. You have to tune in the radio to get the signal that you're looking for um, in so many levels. And I think gratitude works that way. I think, um, you know, manifesting works that way. And and as you point out, communication works that way, listening. Absolutely. 
And I like your use of the expression subtle realms. I think that, that hits it exactly. And please, I would like to clarify, I, I'm not a medical doctor per se. My work is in actually PhDs in religious studies and ethics. So just to clarify for your listening audience, when I speak, it's not the authority of a medical doctor, but it, it's with life experience and then studies, mm -hmm. studies about the mind and spirituality in general. And actually, Rosalind, I appreciate that perspective of yours because you're coming from a place of more, um, shall we say, academia or science, more left brain, uh, more factual study uh, in many ways. And I know that you work with ethics, and I really respect that as well. But let's talk about environmental impacts on the earth because that is some of the work that that you focus on. Um, so much information is available for people now on Facebook, on MSN when you boot up your computer about environmental issues, the impact, uh, the pros, the cons, and it's really difficult navigating sometimes. And I'd, I'd love to know your perspective on what's happening on the earth at the moment in terms mm. of environmental issues. So let, like to approach this with two different directions. One, I teach undergraduate engineering students, most of whom are within 19 and 22 years old. I would say the majority were um, raised with such uh, an onslaught of facts about the earth and the environment that a lot of them are exhausted by it. And it's overwhelming. It's like there's too much to think about. Mm. There's climate change, there's water problems, there's energy problems, there's, there's what humans have done to disturb the earth and and sometimes i think they get they tire they're just exhausted because they feel helpless some of them feel like okay get to work but a lot i think feel helpless and i i would suspect a lot of us are beginning to feel that way mm -hmm. we recycle we turn off our lights we do our best not to pollute and yet we still get all this bad news so the concept of the anthropocene which is you know the effects of um humans on the earth um pretty daunting and it's pretty sad mm. um now that said <laughs> coming from it at another way I, I had an experience standing at the foot of the arnal volcano in costa rica where the, the volcano was active at the time it was about eight years ago it was active and there was an exchange of gases happening that so we could we could talk about it um, in terms of the actual physics of what was going on but it sounded like breathing it sounded like the mountain was breathing this deep exhalation of gases and then this big inhalation is what it sounded like. And it caused me to start weeping. Mm -hmm. And it caused me to sense the aliveness of the planet in a way I had never perceived it before. Mm -hmm. And in sensing that, I got this awareness that, yes, we are living with the results of our activities that have caused some really serious problems, but the Earth the earth will live well past our influences so really what we need to do is start asking um, about our responsibilities for taking care of it but we need to be wise that this is really also about our own survival it's so true <laughs> so true the earth is pretty old and it's it's got a lot of knowledge <laughs> built in its evolution mm. um, and species come and go including possibly us and so my feeling is just let's just be really clear <laughs> that what we need to do um, 
is also for the well-being of our species, not just because of our spiritual responsibility. And I feel that both are important. Mm-hmm. I think you speak so profoundly because uh, what what I notice, and I mean, we have a bookstore, so we have books on uh, this topic in the environmental section, and, and Paul and I are naturalists at heart, and we do involve ourselves in ongoing training as often as we can, and our heart goes out to a lot of these issues. You know, you, the, 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 the bee die-off, the uh, you know, the, the quality of our air that we breathe, uh, fracking, uh, I mean, you name it. There's a lot of stuff out there. Mm-hmm. And what I find is that um, it just intuitively, I think, well, it doesn't feel appropriate. It doesn't feel rejuvenating or sustainable to be focusing on what's wrong all the time. Yeah. Because exactly. it sort of suck. I feel like it sucks my spirit dry and yeah. it creates this negative thought form, if you will, in my own energy field. And I mm-hmm. notice how I feel when I'm around, let's say, laughter and I'm around good music and I'm around mm-hmm. good food and, and, and sharing, you know, sharing space with people that I really uh, respect and value and care about. And my and it's just the opposite. It just sort of fills me up and I can feel my energy getting stronger and more vibrant. And if yeah. you if you think just objectively about what is is better for the planet, mm-hmm. not not that I'm an advocate for put your head in the sand and, and ignore reality. I'm not. But I do think that if you're going for longevity, if you're going for quality of being, quality of contribution, you need to have your reservoirs filled. <laughs> You, Absolutely. You need to give of the surplus. You need to be a model, a beacon of what is possible and what is sacred and what is beautiful and what is alive. Yeah. You you know, yes. n- not that I'm saying anything disrespectful about the protesters nor feeling it. I, I feel strongly that those folks are following their spiritual path and they're doing what they need to do and 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 regardless of which side they're on. Yeah. Um <clears throat> But I it just, well, go ahead. Well, because that's what they're feeling called to do, and, and so that's what they should do. But we're not going to suggest that everybody should do that. Right? That's right. So, and then we'll be grateful for the effects of their work if it makes a difference and it raises consciousness or it changes policy or it does good things, and I'm grateful for what they did and for their, for their work. Um, but I agree with you that if we, because we are living in a time where there's so much information available instantaneously, yes, and some of it by choice and some of it not, some of it's just coming constantly, and you have to consciously turn away from it. It's so overwhelming, and there's only so much we can process and handle and respond to. So choose, like, what are you going to respond to? Because there's too much. Yeah. And so to have awareness of everything going on is it's just ridiculous. And so in its health, it's going to make us sick. That's yes. what I'm afraid of. It's going to make us very sick. Yes. So what we're called to do is what we respond to, and then you focus there with gratitude and appreciation. Yes. And so often I, I think to myself, in terms of environmental issues specifically, that if we could just recognize the sacredness in all life, 
if we could just recognize, as you have so graciously uh, shared your experiences, that horses in this particular example have deep capacity for loving, that they have deep capacity for intuitiveness. If we could recognize that, we're less likely to abuse them. We're less likely to forget our own deep capacity for caring and intuitive awareness. I mean, we're, we're more likely to just kind of be alive and vital in our own world. And that, some people say, is education. I, I'm not sure if it's education. I, in our Western world, our education is somewhat devoid of more organic forms of exposure and learning. Certainly has value. And here I am talking to a professor. <laughs> oh, <pro> <laughs> no. <laughs> I understand. May I give you an example? Oh, I please. That illustrates what you're talking about? Yes. I happen to be right now sitting on the shores of a lake in New Hampshire in a fairly remote area um, where my husband and I come for retreat every year. And we went out our first day here looking for blueberry bushes. They grow wild along the shores of this lake. And I, um, and as I was reaching for the bush to grab a handful, because there they were, like, ah, oh, yay, they're here, I started wondering, well, wait a minute, what right do I have to take these berries and eat them? And so I sort of put out a prayer and, 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 and sort of asked. And the answer I got was, no, wait, now, now, if you eat these berries, then the seeds from the berries spread, and that's good for, the, that's good for me as the plant. So why don't we just why don't we just do this together? And meanwhile, I'm looking up, and there's a chipmunk on two branches up, and he's <laughs> eating away. He's just eating away. So I look at the chipmunk, it's like, okay, I'll save you some. You save me some. And so, and so with every handful, I said, thank you. Yes. Because I realized I just got it. I just got it. It's like that bush is producing food, and I'm grateful to receive it, and that's part of the joy of, of the whole thing. And I'm not doing it any harm because I'm not doing anything destructive to it. In a way, I'm appreciating and honoring what it is in its production of fruit. Absolutely. And so somewhere in the balance of that is the, um, I don't know, to me, the feeling of wholeness and joy that comes. And if we can, I don't know how to do that in a way that's industrialized, that feeds millions of people. That's mm. my problem. Mm. But I know how to do it for myself in those simple moments when I am in a pristine, natural setting, and I just can um, feel that my being fed by this plant is part of the purpose of that plant, and my gratitude for receiving it goes back to nourish the plant. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense, and it illustrates the whole connectivity that we are as life forms on this planet. You know, humans are a different species, I suppose you could say, but not completely. <laughs> I mean, we still share the air, we share the water, we share the land. Whatever's produced from the land, whatever goes into the land that's toxic, we all share that. Yeah. Well, I was sharing the blueberry bush with the chipmunk, <laughs> and he was, he was as hungry as I was for those wonderful little berries. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but if... But if, the, but if the water were polluted, then the berries would make us both sick. And it, it is all connected. So true. And here's another little food for thought. Uh, a plant, my mom taught me this, a plant will produce whatever fruit, vegetable, whatever. And the more it's picked, the more it will produce. Yes, that's absolutely right. And that's just 
we learned that through experience, but I was also getting that when I was sensing being with that plant, mm. that it was healthy for the plant, that it was good for the plant, and that what was good for me was good for the plant in my being, you know, foraging that way. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, uh, yes. No, so, there, so in answer to your question about the environment, we can be overwhelmed yes. by the facts. So I think it's important that we choose what we, what we feel that we need to respond to personally, personally, but mostly be grateful, because this earth is alive and dynamic and very strong. Yes, very strong. yes. And I just had a thought as I was listening to you, Rosalind, that uh, when you were talking about, you know, there's so much information we are in the age of information, it's true. Um, some of our listeners may have heard me speak about a movie I saw not too long ago. It was a documentary about our food, and it was called Fed Up. And in the movie, there's quite a lot of focus about the quality of our food and how much sugar, volume-wise, is in all of our food. Things like that you wouldn't expect, you know, salad dressings and bread and uh, things that aren't quote unquote sweet. And I just I just spent a week with a very dear friend who is very particular um, for her health to be uh, optimal. She's very particular about the kind of food that she eats. And uh, and I have to say that spending time with her modeled for me a different way of being socially. There's a huge impact on each of us in this social uh, mechanism that we live in, we call civilization. And and a lot of times people who would really be sensitive in, in some ways are often, maybe they hold back from showing that because people will think that they're weird or maybe they think that they're weird. And I, yeah. just, I just felt personally the, the, the huge sort of power that it had for me to be around an individual who very heartfully, very humbly said, no, I really, that wouldn't feel good in my body. That, you know, I know my limit. I need to stop eating now or I need to rest now or I need water mm -hmm. now. And mm -hmm. I think what you're describing is the same sort of dynamic. It's just on a different uh, level, you know, information. How much is enough? You want to know the news. What are you going to choose for your sources of news is similar to what are you going to choose for your sources of nutrition. And how much? And exactly how much? And how much? One of the things that I'm able to do when I come to this place is disconnect because the signal's too weak. And so I tell my family and friends, I'm so sorry, I don't have cell service and I won't be checking much email. And And then day two, day three, I start to I can feel my body starts to shift into a rest mode. Yes. And that tightness across my back and neck that I carry with me starts to soften. And my breathing changes and my pace changes. And I realize I just need to disconnect from the frequency that moves faster than my constitution was evolved to move. That's right. And so then what I want to do is I choose. It's like, okay, I'll find the signal for this amount of time and then I'm off. Now, unfortunately, most of us aren't really able to work that way anymore because everything's so wired. Yeah. And so we sit on chairs and we stare at screens and then we wonder why we have insomnia and back problems. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and headaches and we feel overwhelmed. So just um, small sips, small sips and, and balance is probably another way to, to appreciate the, the genius of technology, but not 
overconsume it, just like maybe the sweetness of one small serving, yes, <laughs> as opposed to the whole thing, right? And well, so isn't that always true with anything in life? That's so true. Very, very true. Well, I know that we are uh, coming close to the end of our time together, and I have more things to ask you, and I'm trying to decide where to go from here. Um, As I mentioned previously, uh, Rosalind Byrne will be at our bookstore at Pilgrim's Way Community Bookstore and Secret Garden located in downtown Carmel. We have her here um, on August 22nd, which is a Friday evening. There will be a two-hour workshop Uh, The information will be is on our website and also our Facebook page. If you're on our website, pilgrimsway.com, you can click on the events page. You'll see like a little visual calendar and then find the event and open that up. There's a lot of great information about the work that Rosalind's doing, um, specifically with horses related to this book. But as we've mentioned in the program, more really about deep listening and increasing our own abilities to receive and send very accurate information, heartfelt, uh, authentic information back and forth. So that will be Friday evening, August 22nd from 6 to 8 p.m. at the bookstore. And I think we're going to hold that since the weather's so nice in our secret garden, which is a uh, geodesic dome for those of you who haven't frequented our store. Um, She... uh, Uh, will be there to sign books, of course, her latest book, When the Horses Whisper, The Wisdom of Wise and Sentient Beings. And those of you who have horses, are around horses, or in my granddaughter's case, wish you had a horse, um, it's a fabulous book for reading and really a very gentle sharing back and forth, um, uh, sort of a a record of, of your experiences, Rosalind, which are heartfelt and funny and poignant and um, I just think I'm looking forward to you being there so much. So come on by the bookstore or give us a call if you need to reach us. We're in Carmel, our number 831-624-4955. I wouldn't recommend coming necessarily um, this weekend. Today's Saturday, tomorrow Sunday. They, we're at the end, I believe, of our um, annual uh, Concourse de Elegance, the big car show. So It's overcrowded. I had a friend come by this morning and say he was traveling and was trying to find a room in the area, and uh, Motel 6 was going for like $400 a night. So it's really crowded right now. It's not our favorite time of the year, but um, for a lot of folks, they enjoy coming to the store and indulging in that uh, unusual event. So before we totally run out of time, just two words, maybe, Rosalind, on what your favorite book of all time is? Oh, goodness. Well, I, I can say this. My, the first book that caused me to lose myself in the book is one I read as a child. It was called, um, it was by Madeline Langle. And um, I think because it was a science fiction book called A Wrinkle in Time. And I, think I know that was, book. Yeah, because it was my first like, I'm lost to this book. I can't put it down. It will always be with me. Oh, <laughs> awesome. That's such a great mind-exposing book, right? It just yeah. opens you up. And For a child, yeah. Totally. And what are you reading now? Well, you know, um, my husband and I both have been reading um, I Know Why the Kiesberg Thing, because after Maya yes. passed, we wanted to revisit her work. And I just 
just finished the last page yesterday. Wow. And oh, my goodness. What a yeah. life she had. Talk about a heart opening. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking the time on your uh, remote respite time there with your husband to call into our show here on Simple Life. It's been such a delight to have you. Thank you, and I'm so looking forward to meeting you and being in your geodetic dome. Wow, that's pretty neat. (laughs) All right, well, we'll see you then. Thank you. uh And for our listeners, I want to just say 